0: Hello and welcome to this episode of the Psychology of Music podcast, hosted by the York Music Psychology Group, dedicated to exploring the fascinating fields of music psychology, music cognition, systematic and empirical musicology. My name is Dr Mimi O'Neill and I'm thrilled to welcome you or to welcome you back. The goal is to share our work with each other in the field and also to make these exciting topics more accessible to non-specialist audiences. So whether you are a researcher, a student, a musician, a music lover, or just curious about the way that we interact with music, you're in the right place. We'll feature interviews with experts in the field who are sharing their latest research findings and providing practical insights into how the new knowledge created can be applied. Our guest this week is Jan Stupacher, an assistant professor at the Centre for Music in the Brain at Aarhus University in Denmark. His research interests include rhythm perception and production, sensory motor synchronisation, social interaction in musical contexts, the experience of flow in musical activities and the pleasurable urge to move to music, also known as the experience of groove. Hi, Anne. Welcome to the Psychology of Music podcast, and thank you so much for taking time out of your day to talk to me. I'd like to launch straight in and ask you about the subject of your research at the moment, if I may. You've been working on the pleasurable urge to move to music with others. Could you briefly explain what you mean by this and where your interest in this subject came from?
1: Yeah, I mean, I guess I was always fascinated by rhythm and I played the guitar when when I was younger, and I played in different bands. And I'm a really bad singer, so I'm. <laughs> I, I think maybe that's that's why I was always more fascinated by rhythm than by melody or harmony, let's say. Um, and I studied psychology, and at the end of my of my studies, I did a research project at the uh, Max Planck Institute in Leipzig. That's the uh, Max Planck Institute for Human Cognitive and Brain Sciences, I think. And I was in Peter Keller's group that was called Music, Cognition and Action. And there I met uh, Mike Hove and he introduced me to the to the concept of groove in music. And yeah, we we did this study together um, about groove, which in in music psychology is defined as the pleasurable urge to move to music. And uh, yeah, so I, I did different things in the last 10 to 15 years or so, but I always came back to to that topic, and that that's always, yeah, it has always some been been something that that fascinates me. Um, and I think one of the fascinating things about it is that we can all relate to it. We all know what what is meant by it. We all know these songs that make us nod our heads, like a laid back soul song, for example, or these songs that make us. Uh, Jump up and dance uh, wildly, like a super funky song, for example. So this kind of of urge we mean when when we talk about about uh, groove and the pleasurable urge to move to music. And I think another very fascinating thing about it is that even though we might listen to to music by ourselves and we might listen to a recorded um, audio file. By moving to it, we still get this kind of abstract way of of social bonding.
0: Mm-hmm. I
1: think we always feel that that music was created to give us pleasure and to make us move. And I think that connects us in a very abstract way to the artist or the people who are listening to it. Um, and of course, this is even stronger if we are actually moving together, if we are actually at an event in a in a club or at a concert, wherever.
0: Thank you. That's really interesting. Um, you've previously suggested actually that certain types of music are better suited for eliciting and coordinating body movements than others. Could you maybe give us some examples of these types of music and of course, their relationship to the various musical features?
1: Definitely, um, funky music. Yeah, I would say, um, and yeah, maybe we can talk about this, uh, in more detail later That that. Definitely, some genres that are associated with the, the pleasurable urge to move, and especially the groove concept. Um, and there's, I mean, if if you want a very concrete example, one song that is constantly rated as the most movement-inducing is "Superstition" by Stevie Wonder. And um, so, if if that song is in an experiment, and if the experiment is about the pleasurable urge to move, you can a lot of money on the fact that it will end up all like on 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 the top, basically. So um that would be the very concrete answer. um, but I think it is mostly about about rhythmic complexity mm-hmm. um syncopation, for example. So syncopation is um when an accent happens in the music that is not on the downbeats. So it's, for example, on the offbeats, on some even even more weird um, metric position. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's a lot of studies showing that we prefer to move to music with a moderate amount of rhythmic complexity. So if we take, for example, a a super low rhythmic complexity would be the lowest possible would be a metronome. Nobody Mm -hmm. wants to dance to a metronome. So (laughs) the metronome just goes like... Nobody wants to, to dance to it, I guess. Yeah. Um, but then we can have something that is maybe a bit more complex and some people might might enjoy to move to that, maybe something like that that. So you have a lot of beats that or a lot of the, the rhythmic events co-occur with beats. Um, and then you can have something like um, for example, da 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 da. That da da, 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 thats a clave, for example, and that's, I would say, moderately complex. And that's something that we like to 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 move to, and uh, yeah, then you can have super complex stuff, and that's then pure chaos. So we wouldn't get the beat, and we wouldn't we would know how to move to it. So uh, you you have this inverted U shape, um, very low complexity doesn't make us want to move moderate complexity makes us want to move and high complexity again doesn't make us want to move because we can't make sense of it Mm -hmm. um and as yeah we we use the theory of of predictive coding or the framework of predictive processing to to explain that and applied to music that basically means that i mean our, our brain is a prediction machine so we are trying to constantly make sense of the world in real time and with music that is making sense of the beat and the meter. And this is also the thing that makes us dance in the end. So we have to figure out what is the beat. And if we have a perfectly predictable rhythm, that rhythm is boring and, and we, we can predict it perfectly. If we have a too complex rhythm, we can't create a model to predict anything that's going to happen in future. So we can't even start to to move or we can't even start to interpret the, the beat and meter. But what happens if we have a moderately complex rhythm is that this rhythm hits that perfect balance between predictability on one side and surprise on the other side. So it keeps us engaged. We can come up with a model that, um, that lets us know what might happen in the future um, or that, that lets us guess what might happen in the future. But it also includes surprising events that keep us engaged, that keep us curious, and that in the end make us learn. And that is the the thing that is so pleasurable about it. We we are able to learn when we interact with these rhythms. And adding movement to these rhythms is a way to, to kind of test the model and to add an extra layer to the model. Because otherwise, we only have the audio signal And by adding our movements to the rhythm, we can kind of test if the beat that we are moving to kind of fits or not. And we also add this extra layer of proprioceptive input that comes from our body um, to be able to understand the whole model better, kind of, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So I'm actually interested in how universal moderate complexity is, or is it person specific based on things like their musical background
1: that's a super good question it is very dependent on for example musical training um, probably also just listening history like what what you used to listen to Um, it is very likely also dependent on culture what meters are you used to listen to in the Western culture, it would be 4-4, four, 3-4 four, four maybe. But uh, yeah, in balkan music, for example, it might be 7-8 that you're more used to. Um, yeah, or completely different rhythms. So there's definitely differences and we can also explain them with the U-shape. So it would be then kind of a a U U-shape that is more shifted to the low complexity side for people who are not used to that kind of rhythm and it would be for musicians maybe who have a lot of training a shift to the right side to the bit more complex rhythms
0: great thank you um so in terms of the mechanisms or the motivations behind the act of of synchronizing movement to music or or just moving to music can you explain a bit more about what these might be
1: yeah i mean i think there's Two layers of this, the first would be just synchronizing body movements to music mm-hmm. and I think in terms of of synchronizing body movements to music, it would be what we were talking about before like our movements helping us to understand what the rhythm is about and helping us to to establish a model to interpret the rhythm and yeah, this, this is what gives us pleasure, this kind of figuring out that riddle of the rhythm and and figuring out what beat is the underlying beat that lets us um, kind of make sense of the rhythm. That is something that is fun. And as soon as we figure it out, we have this pleasurable, pleasurable moment where we're like, okay, now I finally got it. It's... Uh, our curiosity that drives us it's uh, our wish to to learn new things that that drives us and yeah we, we can best do that by interacting with the the rhythm for example by by moving to it so i think that's one of the reasons why why we move to music but then we can also see or we, we can also look at the social component synchronizing with another person. And I think especially when we synchronize our movements to music, there's a, a, lot, of, a lot of studies, including some of our own, um, that show that when we synchronize our movements with another person, we like that person more. We bond with that person more and uh, we build more trust. Cooperation works better when, when we have been moving in synchrony before compared to asynchronously so that's it's a really stable finding that that a lot of studies uh, have shown and i think this shows us that music is and probably always was kind of a, a social toolkit to yeah to, to increase trust and to increase cooperation in communities between people and so on
0: yeah, that social that social bonding aspect is really interesting. Um, do you think what in what ways can we use that as a society, or just in our day to day lives, to to use music to foster those social bonds?
1: I think more and more therapies actually use kind of yeah body focused or social focused um, interventions. So. For example, you could imagine to use them in individuals that have deficits in empathy or other kinds of of social deficits. Um, We had a study where we could show that people with less empathy preferred to, or not preferred to, but bonded more with another person when they were moving in synchrony with a metronome a super simple and kind of abstract timekeeper compared to music, which is kind of social in its nature already. It is a social stimulus. And if you compare that to people with higher empathy, they actually bonded more with a person when they were moving with music compared to a metronome. So we had this interaction between music and metronome and uh, empathy. So this kind of gives us an idea that we have to think about what type of music or stimulus we are actually using in interventions with individuals that have different, or who, who have different uh, traits, like empathy, for example. So one thing that comes to mind is um, people on the autism spectrum, for example, Um, But also, if it's movement and music-supported therapies, then that also applies to Parkinson's, for example. And this is actually also research that is done at the center here um, by Victor Pandonaude. And he shows, for example, that in Parkinson's, we have also that that U-shape that is shifted to the lower complexity side because people struggle with consistent movements. They struggle with initiating movements um, when they have Parkinson's. and they actually prefer to move to stimuli that are a bit more predictable. So a bit on the lower complexity side. So yeah, I think it's super important to to keep in mind what type of music we are using for for these kind of of interventions, but, uh, in general, that's that's one application that that is already it's it's already been used, um, and I think the more we learn about the the traits of people and how they then interact with specific types of music, uh, the better those those interventions can be. On a broader perspective, we can apply moving to music together or just listening to music together to Actually, decrease societal division, um, and one one super nice quote is actually from the band Funkadelic, who, in the song "One Nation Under a Groove," which is uh, very very fitting, I guess, to the topic. Um, so, in that song, there's there's the line with the groove our only guide. We shall all be moved, um, and I think this this kind of promotes kind of social bonding on on a very general level and uh, i think there's some truth to that i think if you would if you would let people listen to the same music before a discussion especially if it's groups that are kind of divided in their opinions that might actually increase respect for each other or maybe make them more open to opinions of the other side kind of. And I think especially in times of societal division, that could actually be one way to kind of decrease um, that and, and make people more more open.
0: Wouldn't that be wonderful if music could serve that purpose in society?
1: I mean, it, it sounds a bit too good to be true, but, um, and of course that's, it, it's. It probably would be super silly to let people dance to the same music in Congress or whatever, but um could be one way to, to maybe, yeah.
0: <laughs> they won't look as silly as they do on a day-to-day basis, so I don't see any harm in trying. As well as chatting to me for the podcast, you are going to be presenting in the Music Cognition Matters speaker series, can you give us a brief overview of what we can expect from your presentation?:
1: Basically, I will present research that, uh, yeah, is more or less about what we've been talking about until now. Um, so if I would give an example of of one of the studies and explain it in more detail, maybe, um, I would actually pick my very first study, um, which was a study on Groove defined as the pleasurable urge to move i have to add Um, so we had musicians and non-musicians and they listened to four songs that were rated as high groove meaning having a high pleasurable urge to move and four songs that were rated as low groove meaning a low pleasurable urge to move And while they were listening to those songs, they were sitting completely still, so they weren't moving at all. And we used TMS, that is transcranial magnetic stimulation. Um, And what it does is it basically stimulates specific areas, a very specific area of your brain. And we stimulated the primary motor cortex, which leads to an involuntary movement of the muscle you are stimulating in the primary motor cortex. So you do this every five to six seconds. And I did it as, as a pilot participant and you really have no control over the movement it elicits. So it's it's a bit freaky, but it's, it's also a very nice method. Um, so what we did is in time with the beat of the music, we basically sapped the primary motor cortex. And then a few milliseconds later, you can measure the involuntary reaction. In this case, we stimulated the hand. So we measured the involuntary reaction in the hand muscles. And those are called motor evoked potentials. So, what you're basically measuring is how excitable your motor system is. And we did that for the high groove songs and for the low groove songs. And then later, we compared how excitable was the motor system when listening to the the high groove songs and when listening to the low groove songs. And what we found is high groove songs led to higher motor excitability than low groove songs and also higher excitability than noise, which we presented as a control condition, but only in musicians. In non-musicians, we actually saw the opposite. So high-groove songs led to lower excitability of the motor system compared to low-groove songs and noise. And this is interesting for two reasons. So first, it shows us that although participants were not moving at all, high-groove music modulated the motor system more than low-groove music or noise. And the second really interesting thing is that there was a qualitative difference between musicians and non-musicians, meaning in musicians, high groove music elicited, or high groove music led to higher motor excitability than low growth music and noise, and in non-musicians, the other way around. And our interpretation is that musicians might be better at abstractly representing this wish to move maybe they are better at motor imagery when it comes to to music related movements so maybe they can abstractly represent movements without actually executing them while non-musicians might not be able to do that importantly they also rated the, the high groove songs as more movement inducing so they also wanted to move to them more but we think that because they probably weren't able to represent these movements in a abstract way they probably had to inhibit them to not actually execute movements if that makes sense so i think there's there's an effect of of that kind of high groove music in general, but there's also an effect of musical training, which is uh, kind of interesting. So it might not be a a very general effect, it might really depend on musical training, it might depend on maybe even musical taste and and how often you listen to specific types of music and again, culture.
0: Thank you so much. Um, That sounds so interesting and I can't wait to hear more at the Music Cognition Matters speaker series. Now, as part of this speaker series, we are also inviting presenters to issue a call to action or just a prompt for further thought and discussion. So, if this is a topic that is of interest and you would like to be part of that conversation, then make sure you join us for Jan's presentation, which will be on Friday, the 5th of May at 1 pm British Summer Time. The details can be found in the show notes for this episode. So, I'm always interested to know what else people are working on. Have you got other research or other projects happening at the moment that we can look forward to hearing more about in future?
1: I actually have a really fun one, yeah. And uh, I think it's fun because it's a method that I haven't been using before. And I think it's a method that um, a lot of people could use in future because the data is just there. Um, The method is text mining. What we've been doing is um, we've been looking at, at comments in youtube comment sections for songs that were previously rated on groove so i'm I'm collaborating on this with uh, olivier sen and tony Bechtold, and they have about 200 songs that were rated on on groove and again i have to to define groove or in, in that study groove was defined as the pleasurable urge to move so we had these 200 songs and we were just looking into how people are actually using the term groove in the comment sections of these songs on YouTube. And this led to roughly a million comments that we could look at. So that that was amazing. And the reasoning behind this was that groove can be understood in different ways. And this is also why I was always saying like groove, defined as groove, I have to specify as blah, blah, blah. Um, If you ask musicologists, most of them would probably say, yeah, groove is something objective, something that we can find in a rhythmic pattern or in a performance or that a specific instrument plays, or maybe they would say it's related to a specific genre. So it's all very objective aspects of music. But then if you would ask a music psychologist, for example, then they would probably say groove is the pleasurable urge to move because that's how Guy Madison and Peter Janata defined it. And this is what we as music psychologists have been, been using as the definition of groove. So with that Study on YouTube. We were basically investigating how people in general, like in their everyday language, are using groove, and if that is more related to the more objective or, uh, objective side or the more experienced side of groove, kind of. And what we could find is that most people are actually using it to describe objective aspects of the music. And mostly, to describe things in funk, soul, and R and b music. Mm-hmm. So all of these all of these genres with, uh, yeah, that, that have their roots in African-American musical communities, basically. And that's super interesting. So, Groove seems to be in everyday language genre dependent, and people seem to talk more about the objective side of things when it comes to Groove. But we also found that in songs that were rated as having a, a higher pleasurable urge to move, that people use Groove more. So we also found that Groove is related to the experience of pleasure, the experience of wanting to move. So we also found evidence for that, but people used it less for that actually. People used it less to describe feelings or movements or that that kind of thing. So the takeaway is probably, for me at least, that in music psychology, if we are investigating the pleasurable urge to move, we should call it that. And we shouldn't call it groove. And I think when talking about more objective aspects of groove, it might be good to also not just put it in that really broad umbrella of groove, but talk about the aspect specifically. So I think that that will make it easier. And there is actually already one or two papers that, uh, actually abbreviate uh, the pressure urge to move as plum, which is kind of nice. So maybe, maybe we'll just use that in a few years. But yeah, I think that there will be a better way to, to talk about groove in music psychology at least.
0: Great. Just rewrite the history of the research field while you're at it. Why not? Go for it. Um, Thank you so much. That's again, really interesting. And we'll, we'll look out for that work as it as it progresses. My final question that I ask all guests is, what are the most interesting questions that have not yet been explored in music cognition? Um, so what are, what are the topics that interest you and that we can still learn more about? Or have you read something particularly interesting recently that you'd recommend to others?
1: I think I would go back to the whole social bonding aspect, because I think we, we have a lot of paradigms now that that are social paradigms with music. But I think that every study about music in one way or the other is about social aspects of music because music is that really social stimulus. So I think studies about emotion and music, studies about movement and music, even though they might be like individual studies that have nothing to do with uh, social or that don't apply a social paradigm, I think they are all still about this abstract level of social bonding. And what I'm really looking forward to is to figure out how to actually measure that aspect. And I think... This is something that in the next years we will figure out as, as a community of researchers. And uh, I don't know how exactly yet, but I'm, I'm really excited. And I think that I'm looking forward to and that I'm most excited about.
0: Great. What a lovely place to finish. Um, thank you so much for your time today and for sharing your work with me. I very much look forward to your Music Cognition Matters presentation you can watch Jan's Music Cognition Matters presentation at one o'clock this Friday, the 5th of May, online. The link is in the show notes and can also be found at mus-cog-matters.glitch.me.
1: Thank you. This was really fun.
0: Thanks for listening. And I hope to welcome you back for our next episode in which we will be embracing neurodiversity in musical thinking and cognition with Caroline Cohen.